Have you ever had one of those aha moments like, God has been so good to me, and maybe you said, I want to build something for God. I want to do something for God. And yet in this chapter, as David thinks that way, God says, the Lord will make a house for you. God wants to build something in you and for you, with you and through you. We'll learn more about how he does that today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Second Samuel 7, verse 1, I will, the Lord will make a house for you. It says, now, it came about when the king, that is David, lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest. The word for rest is nuach in Hebrew. It means to remain, to feel settled. It can speak of quietness. He'd given the king rest on every side from all his enemies. Now, just a a quick note here that scholars would say that 2 Samuel 7 is in the position it is in this book for thematic and not necessarily chronological purposes. So sometimes you'll read a book of the Bible and you'll read in the next chapter that there's going to be more battles that David faces. And the question is going to be, well, if he had rest from his enemies on every side, then why are there battles in the next chapter? Well, it may be because this book is set up for thematic purposes. That is, this theme fits best here on the heels of 2 Samuel 6 when the ark is moved into the city of Jerusalem. And so God had given him rest. Notice in verse 1, the Lord had given him rest. Uh, Rest is not necessarily just about inactivity or that things are not going haywire around you. Rest is a settled secure position in your heart before the Lord. You can have a somewhat chaotic day and still inside be at rest. Amen? Hopefully you can say amen to that, right? Your rest before the Lord should not be just dependent on how traffic is or how hectic your day may be. You can have a a supernatural rest from the Lord. We enter into that rest. Hebrews 4, 10 and 11 talks about entering into that rest and being diligent to enter that rest. And that rest is really a salvation rest that the Lord gives. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? I will give you rest. The rest is the product of the Lord. The reason that I'm at rest, that I have a a peace deep in my soul for the biggest questions of life is because the Lord has given uh, that peace to me, that salvation rest. In Luke uh, 12, 20, the Lord tells a story about a man who wants to build bigger things and bigger things. And God says to him, Luke 12, 20, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? God is preparing a spiritual house He wants you to be about his business. And sometimes what happens with people, and it's actually quite often, is they get involved in all the the hustle and bustle of life and they may do great things, but they miss the most important building project of all, that God is making us into a spiritual house to offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. So the Lord wants to do a spiritual work and If you allow that work to happen in your life, the rest will take care of itself. So notice 
David's in this comfy house. It had been built by the king of Tyre for him, but he feels a burden. The king said to Nathan, verse two, the prophet. By the way, first mention of Nathan, the prophet. My middle son's name is Nathan. And uh, the word, the name Nathan means giver or given. And so Nathan is kind of to David and we'll see Nathan very prominent in the 12th chapter when David falls in that sin with Bathsheba. Nathan was to David like Samuel was to Saul. So it was great for David to have a prophet around. Earlier, we see Gad in David's life. And the king says to Nathan, the prophet, see now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells within tent curtains. Tent curtains. Uh, There was a disparity in David's mind. David had been given peace from God. He had rest from all his enemies. He's living in this cool house. And then he looked at the the situation for the ark, and it was just sitting in a temporary tent. And he was like, this is not right. It's not right for this ark to be in something that's just makeshift and flimsy when I'm living in this cool house. He saw a disparity. When we see a disparity there, we have two options. We can either make something better for God, or we have to go lower in our own accommodations. (laughs) Most people choose for the first option. Maybe we should do something great for God. Maybe I should build something great for God. The ark of God represents the tent, or the, excuse me, the uh, dwelling of God, the very presence of God. It was in a tent, a tabernacle, but this is uh, just less than that. It's a temporary tent. Haggai 1.7 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring wood, and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house, which lies desolate while each of you runs to his own house. Now, this is later in the book of Haggai when God wanted a temple to be built. And the priorities of the people were not about the house of God. They were about their own houses. It was about their kingdom instead of the kingdom of God. So David has this building project on his heart. And Nathan says to the king, verse three, go, do all that is in your mind for the Lord is with you. It was obvious to everybody that the Lord was blessing David, that the Lord was with him. Go, this sounds like a great plan, says Nathan. But verse four, it came about in the same night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Now, Nathan's first response to the king was, go ahead, you're cool. Do it. It sounds awesome, but he wasn't speaking as a prophet. He was just speaking as a man. This tells you something important about prophets in the Old and New Testament. They weren't always speaking for God when they said something like, I would like a turkey sandwich for lunch. That wasn't a prophecy. But when they spoke on behalf of the Lord, then they were speaking prophetically. And their job as a prophet was to tell what God said, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, whether the king liked it or not, whether it was pleasant to his ears or not. In the modern church, the call of the pastor is to preach the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help him God, and to leave the results to the Lord. And so Nathan goes home that night, and the Lord says these words, to Nathan, whose name means given or giver. Go and say to my servant David, thus says the Lord, are you the one who shall build me a house to dwell in? 
Now, if you go home in the quiet of the night and you're Nathan and you just told the king of Israel, who's a pretty powerful dude, hey, go ahead. This sounds really good. Do it. And then you go home. Maybe you're doing some devotions that night. And all of a sudden the, the Lord says, oh, by the way, you need to correct something you said to the king. He is not going to be the one to build me a house. Would you be looking for confirmation there? Double confirmation, triple confirmation. Lord, are you sure? I just told him it was cool. That would be a tough meeting to go to, right? Uh, king, can we talk for a minute? Uh, you know what I said to you yesterday? It's not gonna happen. <laughs> it's not gonna work. That would be tough. But David was a man that was open to what God would say to him. And so God is going to tell him, you're not gonna be the one to build a house for me. And we're told in other places in the Old Testament, the reason why David was not gonna build the house for God was his hands were filled with blood. He was a man of war. And his son Solomon was going to build the house for him. And Solomon's name means peaceful. It's actually a form of the word shalom, to be peaceful. He was a man of peace, if you will. David was a man of war and his hands would not build the temple, although David would collect everything for it and God would give him credit for what was in his heart. 1 Kings 8.18 says, the Lord said to my father, David, Solomon is speaking, because it was in your heart to build a house for, me, for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Sometimes we have things in our hearts and we, we want to do something for God and God might correct us or he might cause an adjustment to happen, but he might still give you credit for it and say, you did well. If you want to do something for me, that's a good thing. Don't you think God thinks that's a good thing if you want to do something for him? But you have to be sensitive to the timing. You have to be sensitive to the, the what and the how, and even the who. It may not be you. It may be somebody else. God may have this plan, but it's not necessarily for you to do. And that's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to imagine us stepping out of the way. I mean, after all, David was the man after God's own heart. Who else? should build the house for God. If you're David and this message comes to you from Nathan, you have to be thinking, well, who else would build it? I'm the king. I'm the, the man after God's own heart. Who else would build this house? But David had to look beyond himself. In Psalm 132, it would appear that David had made a covenant to build this house. Flip over there for a second. Psalm 132. Take a peek with me. Psalm 132. It says, verse one, remember, O Lord, on David's behalf, Psalm 132, verse one, all his affliction, he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. Surely, Psalm 132, verse three, I will not enter my house nor lie on my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place, verse five, for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Somewhere along, perhaps when David was on the run, if you go back to 2 Samuel 7, he had made this decision. He had made something like a vow. He said, I'm going to build a house for the Lord. Maybe because he saw that there was only temporary shelter for the ark. Maybe because David was so used to being a fugitive, being a man who had to live in caves, being a man who had no... 
Hey folks, I've been telling you about different ways that you can connect with Walk in Truth. And one of the ways you can do it through modern technology is download the Radio Scribe app and search for Walk in Truth. There you'll have access to all kinds of cool resources, including one thing I'm going to highlight today, which is a devotional. It's a video devotion I've done on, will God give you any more than you can handle? Question mark. I'm sure you've had that question. It's a five minute video devotion. It'll bless you. You can refer friends to it and hopefully it'll help you with your walk. Download the Radio Scribe app, search for Walk in Truth and check out the devotion today. God bless you. He swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. Surely, Psalm 132, verse 3, I will not enter my house nor lie on my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place, verse 5, for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Somewhere along, perhaps when David was on the run, if you go back to 2 Samuel 7, he had made this decision. He had made something like a vow. He said, I'm going to build a house for the Lord. Maybe because he saw that there was only temporary shelter for the ark. Maybe because David was so used to being a fugitive, being a man who had to live in caves, being a man who had no permanent home for a long stretch of time. He was a king in the making, yet he had to live on the run. He had to live in caves and hide from the crazed Saul. He intended to build God a house. He had this dream in his heart. The kingdom prayer is these words, thy kingdom come, thy what? Will be done. One author I read this week says, responding rightly to God is the most important thing in your life. Responding correctly to God is the most important thing in your life. What house is God asking you to build? What ark is he asking you to build? Noah was told to build an ark, and it seemed like a crazy idea. It may have never rained. And he's told to build this ark. And it took a long time to build it. And the question that you and I should be wrestling with this morning is, what has God called you to build? And are you willing to build it by faith, one person at a time, one hammer blow at a time, no matter how many helpers that you have or don't have? And so here's what happens. This is 2 Samuel 6, 7, 6. He says, For I have not dwelt in a house since the day I brought up the sons of Israel from Egypt, even to this day. I've been moving about in a tent, even in a tabernacle. Now, there was a portable structure that God had given Moses uh, dimensions and the framework to build both the tent and its furnishings. And that tent would be packed up as they moved around. We're told at the very end of the book of Exodus, just write this down for your notes, Exodus 40, verses 36 through 38, that God would move around with the people. It says these words, for throughout all their journeys, Exodus 40, 38, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day. There was fire in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. Now the Bible says that heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you can build for me? This is Isaiah 66, one and two. Where is a place that I may rest? For my hands made all things, thus all things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, you could say it this way, to this one I will dwell, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit, 
and who trembles at my word. If you want to have God's presence in your life, it doesn't happen in sanctuaries per se. There are some people who have the mindset that when you pray, you have to go to an official church building. That is not the case. There are many beautiful sanctuaries throughout the world that are as empty as empty can be. In Europe right now, a lot of empty cathedrals, a lot of places of worship that once resonated with the worship of God and the word of God, and now they are empty. In fact, some of them have become mosques. Some of them have become used for other purposes. God says, if you want to know something about me, here's what you can know. I dwell with those who really are broken and want to know me. In fact, we have become the temple of the living God. Amen? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's cool to have a nice sanctuary. Don't get me wrong. We all appreciate this, don't we? It's pretty nice. Do you remember the old building? How many of you were in the old building? Do you remember how many fire laws we were breaking in that old building? There were people who told me, I wouldn't come to your church for a while because I am claustrophobic. And then some of you sat in that little makeshift uh, foyer that we had with the television that popped up out of the 1970s piece of furniture that we had there. You guys were troopers. It was awesome to see. And now we have a little bit more space and we celebrate that. But in the end, what God cares about is right here. Cares about our hearts. He wants to do a building project in you and me. Now, therefore, as God is speaking to Nathan, thus you shall say to my servant David, verse 8, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be ruler over my people Israel. And I've been with you wherever you have gone. I've cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name, like the names of the great men who are on the earth. Do you remember where David started? When Samuel went to his dad's house, Jesse, and the sons lined up, do you remember what the prophet said? Surely he's got to be the king. Nope. Surely he, surely, nope, 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 nope. And finally he had to say, hey, do you got any other kids around here? Yeah, there's a ruddy one out there uh, tending the sheep. Number eight. And you know what? He became the king of Israel. He was the unexpected choice. Even the prophet didn't know. God delights in using unexpected people. Have you noticed? That's why I'm standing up here, by the way. I've told you guys many times. In school, I would act like I was sick on oral report day because I hated speaking in front of people. Now, that's all God has me doing. I do believe God has a sense of humor. <laughs> and so, and my mom was such a protective mother. All I had to do is say, I don't feel good. And she'd say, okay, stay home. I didn't even have to heat up a thermometer or anything like that. He says, I'm going to make your name great, but I don't want you to forget where you came from. You were number eight. You weren't the firstborn. You weren't the logical choice. You weren't like Saul, head and shoulders above the rest. Don't think that just because you look at the outward that you can't do something great for God. Don't you believe that? 
God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks where? At the heart. That's what he cares about. And so David is going to become a very prominent man. In fact, David's name is one of the most recognizable names in all the world. David's name is mentioned over 60 times in the New Testament. In fact, you would not be sitting here right now if it weren't for David. Because Jesus comes from the line of Abraham, the line of Isaac, the line of Jacob, but ultimately he is the son of David. When Jesus was on the planet, there were people who cried out, son of David, have mercy on me. There were people who asked the question in the book of Matthew, could this be the son of David? There was a Canaanite woman who called him the son of David and said, please heal my cruelly demon-possessed daughter, son of David. Those who were the scholars of the day knew that the Messiah would be the son of David. Matthew 1.1 opens the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Do you know that the New Testament opens with the name of David? He has a great name, a glorious name. Even Old Testament scholars would tell you that there's verses, for example, in the book of Ezekiel that may indicate that David will reign in the coming millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. It's a little hard to tell whether it's speaking in some cases of the greater David Jesus or of David himself as some sort of vice regent to the Lord Jesus Christ. David is an incredible name. If you turn to the book of Acts for a second, Acts chapter two, Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost and there's just been a miraculous happening by the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's what Peter preaches to them on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter two, look at verse 23, 223. This man, he's speaking of Jesus, Acts 2.23, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And God, Acts 2.24, raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, Acts 2.25, I was always beholding the Lord in my presence. He is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will abide in hope because thou will not abandon my soul to Hades nor allow thy Holy One to undergo, undergo decay. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou will make me full of gladness with thy presence. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David but that he both died and was buried his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants upon his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. Would you notice? It says David in verse 30 was a prophet. He knew that God had sworn to him by an oath to seat one of his future descendants upon David's throne. And so David 31 looked ahead and spoke of what? The resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. 
What you're going to notice if you turn back to 2 Samuel 7 is this chapter famously lays out what's called the Davidic covenant. The Davidic covenant. And now in the Bible, there are several different covenants. There's a Noahic covenant in the book of Genesis, uh, chapter, I think it's chapter 9. There's an Abrahamic covenant. If you want to know how this works and you're thinking, Pastor Michael, it's too early to be giving us covenants, I understand. You'll get your donut afterwards. But stick with me for a second. These, these covenants, just if you put an IC on the end, you got it. Noahic. See, we sound smart until we really see what people are doing. We just put an IC on the end. Abrahamic and a Davidic, Davidic covenant. You say, well, what are those? Well, the Abrahamic covenant is very significant. It's an unconditional covenant in Genesis 15. The Noahic covenant, we understand what that is. There was a covenant at Sinai that God made with the people of Israel. And there's a Davidic covenant. And the Davidic covenant is this. God is going to send a future person from the line of David that will sit on the throne forever. Amen? That is what is coming. So notice, back in 2 Samuel 7, verse 10, he says these words, I will also appoint a place for my people Israel, will plant them, that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again, nor will the wicked afflict them, anymore as formerly. Even from the day that I commended, commanded judges to be over my people Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. Now David said, I want to I wanna make something cool for the Lord. I want to I wanna make something special for the ark to dwell in. But the Lord says, no, David, I'm going to make a house for you. And the word house here is not a physical structure. The word house speaks of a lineage. It speaks of descendants to come. Right now, I have three boys. We celebrated a 10-year anniversary at the church, and my three boys got up here, and they have grown so fast, it's, it amazes me. They're all tall, strapping, good-looking young guys. It's just totally unfair what time does. But I look at each of them and I, and I see promise. I see hearts that want to serve Jesus Christ. They are my house. You know, wherever we end up living, whether we live in Corona or we live in another state, my house will continue through those boys. And what God is telling David right now is you're going to have a house and it's not a physical structure. In fact, it's going to be really captured in a, in a throne and from your line, even though you were the youngest of eight, David, you were the unexpected choice. From your line will come the Savior of all mankind. Hey, folks, I'm excited to tell you about another way that you can connect with Walk in Truth. Download the Radio Scribe app and search for Walk in Truth. There you'll find a lot of cool resources. You'll be able to listen to messages. You can access devotionals. And you can partner with Walk in Truth and help us reach more people. Download the Radio Scribe app, search for Walk in Truth, and find a lot of cool resources there. I know it'll be a blessing to you. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.